Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. And I want to give another shout out for those of you that know we're doing quite a few shows for the month of May. We do quite a few shows anyway on mental health awareness, but Mental Health Awareness Month uh, started on May 1st. And I think every month should be Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and the reason that this is so important to all of us is because many of us come through and we come from families um, where we have a history of this. And on the Dr. Pat show, which you're listening to, and on Transformation Talk Radio, you will hear all of our hosts and people that are so acutely aware. However, what we've just gone through for the past three years, in some people in my profession would say that there hasn't been something quite like this at a mental and emotional level that hit the family unit together so strongly. And they're comparing that to World War II. And what they're saying is that we have been so close together in isolation for three years, pretty much, that we're just starting to begin to understand the repercussions of all of that. And so today, what I wanna say to all of you is, if you see a friend of yours drinking too much, or you see a parent of yours recreational drugs too much, the first place is compassion. That's the first place. Because underneath that, a majority percent of the time, there is wounding. Some of it's deep, some of it not. But we seek to comfort ourselves. We seek to do it. And in isolation, the comfort became drugs, alcohol, food, and addiction to a whole lot of other things. Today, today's show, and it was just a conversation, I guess, that really got me thinking here before we came on uh, with uh, Dr. Gregory Little and his, how should I say it? Let me just call it his latest book. Uh, I don't even know if it's his latest book, but you all have heard me talk about and actually ask a question because it's really a phenomenon that I'm seeing. And the phenomenon started, um, I guess you could say it started a number of decades ago with the introduction of comic books. I know, don't laugh. This really is a conversation about origins of the, uh, of the gods with Gregory Little, but Gregory L. Little. But think about this. What were we in need of so desperately on the onset of film, but especially in the world of ideas and imagination. What, we, so what were we so hungry for? And what are we still so hungry for? 
if you take a look at where we are now and you ask yourself, how does it almost, not quite post-pandemic, but how is it that the top grossing movies and the most anticipated films are not films of the heart. There's nobody flocking to go see Love Story right now. But what is it that we're hungry for? But here's the question that I'm going to talk with Gregory about because he covers it in his book. Did the idea to create these characters come from us? Or was there the idea and energy of this kind of phenomenon, imagination, gods, skinwalkers, oh my gosh, you just name it, earliest forms of shamanism. So think about it. Which came first, chicken or the egg? Uh, Dr. Gregory, great to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, good introduction. By the way, I was a mental health counselor for in my early years for five years on a prison mental health unit where we yeah. had... Uh, convicted uh, offenders that were all having mental health problems, the schizophrenics and uh, bipolar, et cetera. Uh, did that for five years and was a substance abuse counselor before that for some time before I got uh, certified as a, as a psychologist. So um, yeah, this is a good time for people to reflect on that too. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough time for people. It, it's tough. Uh, now you got, now I got a really interesting question for you. Cause I just had like an aha moment. My friend, Gene Houston would say, oh my God, you like had a tipping point moment. How did two people like us, how did two people like us, you with your background, me with mine, my childhood, my education, how do we get the honor and the privilege to talk about the origins of the gods? How did you get from that place, right? To be, you know, coming out front, internationally known for this topic, writing a phenomenal book, by the way. What was that journey like for you? And what obstacle challenges did you personally have to overcome to get here right now? To even like for us to chat? Okay, so first of all, let me, uh, here's the book, uh, co-authored with Britain's Andrew Collins. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, so obstacles, uh, none. I can't tell you that there's any obstacle at all. And I, that's kind of what I preach to people in uh, my real career, uh, which, well, the, the career that I actually get an income from. But um, I, I preach to people that it's really up to them that they can kind of do. You can't do anything you want to do. You can't become anything you want to become. We all have limits. Uh, a guy that's five feet, five inches tall is not going to become a center in the NBA. It isn't going to happen. Uh, you can't do it. You just can't. No, uh, a guy no. that's five, five might, might be able to become like a point guard in the NBA, but I don't think that any five fives have ever done it. So we have limitations that are caused by genetics and other things, but people can do pretty much what they want to do if they really have an interest in it. And so I really started in this. I've, I've given this a lot of thought lately. Uh, for a number of reasons, not just because I've talked about it on a few shows, but uh, back in 1972, when I entered graduate school in psychology at what was then the University of Memphis, I had a major professor 
uh, in psychology, had a PhD from Vanderbilt. His wife was a, was a psychiatrist with an MD from Vanderbilt University. Uh, they took me under their wing. Actually, they started this process in 1970 when I very first met this professor. Uh, and I was being trained in the field of psychopharmacology. At that time, at that time, 1972, there were several kind of new age, people call it new age rages, whatever, but one of them was, was spoon bending and key bending. Yuri Geller was kind of in the forefront with that. Uh, the idea of pyramid power was around then that you could put objects in a, in a pyramid that was built according to specific instructions, and it would do things like sharpen razor blades, or it would uh, keep food fresh over a period of time. There were lots of claims made about it. Uh, also, that plants could have feelings. People were doing trance channeling. And that psychiatrist and psychologist took me to literally probably a couple hundred trance channeling sessions over yeah. the next four or five years. And they took me to lots of key bending and spoon bending parties. We did experiments in the laboratory on pyramids and pyramid power. We used the instructions. These were in the lab, the psychology labs, which it's very, very scientific. We also did experiments with, with plants. Uh, we were never able to bend spoons or keys with our mind. We saw people do it. We were not able to do it. We found that pyramid power was not exactly what it was supposed to be. Uh, we'd build the pyramids and then put the razor blades in them. Nah, they rusted and so on, just like you'd expect. Uh, we did find that plants did have feelings. That's a long involved story that involved experiments. But that's kind of when I got into it. I had an interest in UFOs before then, but I really wasn't able to do a great deal with it until I got my doctorate. Then I shoved all the professional stuff Kind of, I still did it, but I shoved it to the side and wrote my first book, which was mm. called The Archetype Experience. And it was a follow-up to Carl Jung's last book, which was published in 1959. It was called Flying Saucers, A Thing, Things Seen in the Sky, Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Skies. Uh, so that's kind of how I started in it. But I've never had anybody in the field say, hey, you shouldn't do this. Psychologists have a very wide latitude in the things they can look at and investigate. And in the UFO field, you've got all this weird mental stuff going on. People like abductees are claiming bizarre experiences with glowing creatures. You have the contactee experience. And then we have these long, this long history of things like angels and even ancient aliens. And so all of that stuff, we kind of, Andrew and I actually kind of wrapped up into a package, an explanatory package in the book, um, Origins of the Gods. And that's really where it came from. Yeah. But again, no one's ever said, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. Nobody. Well, I, you know, I, but I have to ask the question because I love that you shared that journey and timeline. And first of all, thank you for what you and Andrew put together in here. Number one, thank you. Thank you for insisting on images. Thank you. Um, number two is that we, um, we as people, we are sometime intuitively drawn to things. Let me just call it that. You know, why does somebody go to Arizona or Nevada mm -hmm. and cannot help themselves but get there to glaze at the nighttime? can't explain it to the wife. The kids don't want anything to do with it. There's no swimming there, but yet is drawn to it. 
is drawn to it. And there are a couple things that there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but your research, yours, uh, your research, Andrew's research, what you put together, it makes so much sense. And yet here we are. Here's where we are. Up until what, two years ago when they released the Pentagon report? They, a part, let's just be clear, a little part of the Pentagon report, because they only gave us from this period of time, right? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I grew up knowing that were institutionalized, mostly by their husbands and family members, because they claim to see things, believe in something. And we're now at a place in time where when I pick up your book, I look at it with an open heart and a fresh lens. And for so many people, Gregory, the ability to do what you've done and bring this information to light is very freeing for people that pretty much have had a sense of it. For example, in your book, you have these crystals, the earliest, and they're not they're not cracked yet into geodes, right? Right. Okay. I have eight of them in my house. <laughs> Why? I had no idea till I read your book about it. Why do I have eight of them in my house? Why have I cut some of them open? What do they show on the inside? That's so fascinating. But the question really is for me is as you were writing this book, it's clearly a message that you and Andrew and others wanted to bring forth. What is your end game? What was your vision in communicating such amazing information? I mean, everything from Jung to Kiel uh, to, to uh, Cheyenne, I mean, there's so much in here that most books have not touched upon. So I'm so curious about what you saw when you decided to write it. Well, Andrew and I had the same ideas about all this, the whole UFO phenomenon, apparitional phenomenon, the paranormal. We've had the same idea since 1984, and that's partly we, why we became such good friends. But our, our, our vision for this really, and I, I've never said this before, but it's to transform the narrative. There is a lot going on out there that in, in the book, there's a, uh, an example that I give, and it's, uh, uh, it, it, I didn't, I didn't, I paraphrased this, and it was done by uh, a guy many, many years ago, but he said that the whole UFO field and the, and the paranormal field is like a huge jigsaw puzzle, and the jigsaw puzzle stretches out for miles and miles, and what happens to people is they're trying to solve the puzzle they get in one area and mm -hmm. they get so focused in that area that they don't see anything else. And they'll pull the piece up and say, I've discovered this. And that's partly what the whole idea is of people that, that are, that insist that every single UFO is an alien. Everyone is an extraterrestrial being because they're so focused on it. And then when you start talking to them about some paranormal stuff, they'll say, oh, that's, that, that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm only interested in the craft, the nuts and bolts craft and the UFOs. Then there's other people that are interested in only other aspects, such as skeptics. Uh, skeptics believe everything is a hoax or a hallucination. 
uh, or that people are under the influence of drugs and then hallucinated, or they're just making it up. Uh, skeptics, that everything they see, it's like they have the one piece of the puzzle. And yes, there have been some hoaxes. They'll point to the couple of hoaxes that they can prove and say this proves they're all hoaxes, but it doesn't. So people get bogged down in looking at just one thing. It's like the ancient aliens phenomenon, which we address in the book. Andrew, of course, is one of the featured people on ancient aliens on yep. almost every episode. Uh, and for example, we take the point of view that ancient aliens clearly were here. Uh, and I, we don't use the show ancient aliens to demonstrate that. We use the greatest skeptic of all time, Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan in 1963 wrote a scientific article saying aliens certainly have been here. And in that article, he calculated that they probably have visited Earth 10,000 times in the past 2 million years or so. And I mean, that's, that's the greatest skeptic of all time. So clearly, ancient aliens were here. Somebody was here in the remote past. All that they did, we don't know. I don't think they did everything that the, the entertainment show, Ancient Aliens show, says. Uh, I don't think the founding fathers were in, were in direct contact with aliens. Uh, they may have been in contact with, the, with the, the crux of the force that we discuss in the book. I call them time beings, and in it, Andrew calls them end beings. Uh, but it's it's very complicated. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. Everything from like the Navy Tic Tacs means oh. something all the way to everything else. Uh, you can go back to Emanuel Swedenborg in the 1700s who interacted with aliens for 28 years. Emanuel Swedenborg, one of the most famous scientists of all time. Uh, actually, he was the first true contactee uh, starting in 1743, he had his first contact wow. visit, and these these beings that look just like us came to him almost on a daily basis for 28 years, took him on rides into the rest of the solar system. He went to Jupiter. He says he went to Jupiter. He went to Saturn, uh, and he saw beings like us on all the other planets. So how do you explain all that? That's really what we tried to do in the book. How do you explain somebody like Joan of Arc? Uh, Joan of Arc is an incredible story. Uh, I've read everything skeptics have said about it, but it's an incredible story. How do you explain Edgar Cayce? Oh. Again, incredible story that skeptic, skeptics like to point out some of the flaws in the story, and there are some flaws but they conveniently ignore all the incredible information that he gave that was accurate. They simply ignore that. Yeah. So you can't say that it's all hoaxing and that it's all nonsense. It, it isn't. There are lots of cases where there really is something truly going on. And in the book, we tried to go through those, whether it's the Zaytun Egypt apparitions or whether it's the Missouri UFOs, the things in Yakima or any other yeah. uh, of the reports. Yeah, I love that you do this and you really take us through this in the book. Um, one of the things I want to do, Benny, is we have three copies of the book to give away. Can we go ahead and do that uh, before the uh, half point? 1-800-930-2819. Uh, 1-800-930-2819. Um, I want to talk about this idea of ancient astronauts, just like the way you've been talking about it. Okay. But you're right. There's a lot of information out there. There are television shows. There are movies. 
there are pop culture, let's just call them fantasy movies that are made that are supposedly not based on reality. They're Hollywood, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of them do their homework. They do their research. So there's a glimpse of something they've discovered or found. And so my question to you is there are some people that believe that the documentation, for lack of a better word, the documentation of ancient astronauts goes further back than we can even imagine. But you have a you have a, a philosophy, you have an idea about this. Tell us where you think modern ancient astronaut theory started. Well, I think the actual ancient astronaut theory started with Emanuel Swedenborg. That's really the beginning of it. I mean, you can say that the biblical reports of angels were, or the, the Vedic yeah. stories, uh, some stories out of uh, ancient Babylonia, you can say they're ancient astronauts, but none of those people... None of, you know, it's like the angels in the biblical times didn't say, oh, by the way, we're from Saturn or we're from Venus or we're from Mars. Uh, they never did that. They were angels. They were messengers of God. They were beings of light. Actually, uh, almost all the reports of beings associated with UFOs, they're encased or enshrouded in a ball of light, and they usually glow. And they're sometimes translucent beings. Uh, but uh, so... Emanuel Swedenborg really was probably the first true contactee and where the ancient astronaut theory started. Swedenborg's writings, which he wrote several books about his 28-year experiences, and in Swedenborg's writings, he said that the creatures, the beings like us who came from other planets, told him straight out that they've been visiting here for a long, long time and that they had affected the affairs on Earth. And that is why they were here now. And that really is what the contact D experience and what the ancient astronaut theory is all about. So that's actually the very first report that I can pinpoint. Again, it's 1748. Uh, I'm sorry, 1743, when Swedenborg first met those beings. So before that, yeah, there were lots of, lots of uh, people who said that the universe probably had life in it. Uh, lots of people said that the planets were probably inhabited, but none of them were saying, oh, by the way, those they're coming here too, uh, and they're interacting with us. That pretty much begins with Swedenborg. I just don't know of anybody before Swedenborg. You know, I want I, I love that we're talking about this because sometimes for me, I've always wondered in, especially, you know, growing up, there was always this conversation of randomness randomness. So what do I mean by that is, oh, we saw something over there. Oh, somebody saw something over there. Oh, until in Nishanik Station, New Jersey, where Linda's mom lived, that I used to visit, Jersey farmland, not Newark, right? Big acres, people, minimum lot division was five acres. And, you know, there's a lot that you can learn and grow up with. And it does seem random. It does seem, well, there's one over here and one over there. But we don't even know what we don't know. We only know what we have had a glimpse of. I never could feel inside that this was a random strategy. That it was, oh, let's just go see what they're doing on Earth. Kind of like that, right? But it was interesting because I had heard about crop circles. I had seen the pictures. 
And this had to be a good 40 years ago. And we woke up one morning, looked out in the backyard, all of us. There was a diagram. I can't, I can't describe it. They had grass and acreage. So imagine that. But a perfectly carved out, perfectly carved out circle, perfectly carved out, another inner circle, a little more, something that the grass wasn't cut in the middle, and something came off of it. Now, when you grow up in a family like this, you think somebody got up in the middle of the night and turned on the sit-down mower and did that. That was so shocking. And I'm telling you, Linda's dad had the septic people over, wasn't even by the septic, but that never left our consciousness. It never left our consciousness. And what was so interesting about it is it was almost near perfection. Her dad was an engineer. So of course he's got to measure it and he's got to, and I just wonder how many other things like that mm. have been happening that people are not talking about. Because what you represent is a body of work, professionals that have spent your life bringing things like the caves, you know, bringing things like what, 450,000 years, mm. you know, caves forward. But I just wonder how many other people are like, Linda, myself, waking up in the middle of central Jersey, looking out the window, not hearing anything through the night and have that experience. Well, you've brought up something interesting. And the first half of the book, which is what I wrote, yeah. has a heading and the heading is all things are connected. And it is a Native American. Uh, that's a Native American saying. Uh, actually, that is written on some of the signs when you go into Native American mound sites. Uh, and there's a picture of one of the signs in, in the book at a Native American site. But OK, so the idea here of all things being connected, it means there really is no randomness to it. And another concept that's in there is synchronicity. Synchronicity okay. means meaningful coincidence. It's a coin termed by Carl Jung. Uh, Jung had talked with Albert Einstein some, and that's where the idea of synchronicity came from. And it simply means a meaningful coincidence, something that is connected by the real meaning of the experience, uh, such as somebody important to you dies last night, and then that night they come to you in a dream. That is a meaningful coincidence. Now, a lot of skeptics will have an explanation for it, of course, but that's irrelevant. Anyway, chances are all of us have these experiences where things that we, we just don't notice them. Uh, and it's because synchronicity is a condition of awareness and it's an awareness of seeing an interconnected net. And in the book, I talk about it like it's a spider web. Think of the universe as a giant spider web, which is actually what modern physics kind of says with string theory. Yeah. So with a spider web, if you vibrate any little portion of a spider web, everything vibrates. Everything is affected by any vibration done anywhere in the spider web. So everything in the universe then is connected and interconnected. And there really is no randomness to it then. 
That's the truth. Uh, and even in physics, every every act has a consequence. Every consequence has a consequence, and on and on it goes. Uh, I think that genetics. Uh, let's get back to the ancient astronaut thing. Genetics. Yeah. I mean, all things are connected. Where did we come from? Uh, what's the best evidence of it? To me, the best evidence that we probably are not seeing the truth about where we came from, the best evidence is genetics. The human genome is, is, is absolutely incredible, as is all animal yeah. life. It's all absolutely amazing. And when you understand all the symbiotic relationships that have to happen in our body, which probably a third of our body is made up of, of bacteria that has nothing to do with us. It's, it's living on its own, but it serves a purpose for us. And without it, we would die instantly. We can't exist without all that bacteria in us. One of the things is mitochondria. Uh, they're in every cell in our body and the mitochondria give us our energy. And they're actually the source of all the ancient DNA studies that have been done. Most people don't know that it's not being done on human DNA. It's being done on bacterial DNA that we all carry in ourselves. Mm. Uh, another story, but it, 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 it's, it's too, too much to get into. But the truth is, in this idea, the Native American idea, which I really, really like, I like it a great deal. Obviously, I spent a lot of time in the book discuss, discussing it. Uh, all things are connected. There is a web that exists. Uh, the second book I, that I wrote is called People of the Web. And that was the whole idea. This web that Native Americans have talked about. Everything is spiritual. Everything comes from the same source. They believed in a singularity at the beginning of time that split itself into three parts. Uh, maybe we'll get into that after the break. But yeah. anyway, um, it, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's an amazing thing to think of. But I don't believe in randomness. There probably isn't much that's random. Like, that, I, yeah. Yeah, that's what, it never made sense to me, even though, okay, there's a gap. But there's just too much in our lives that's systemic and systematic. I want to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about, okay, this is a word. We're going to begin the conversation. Ontology. Have you ever heard that word? I know. I know you all have heard of cosmology. But have you heard of ontology? Do you know what that is? We're going to share that. But before we go, how do we get copies of the book? How do people buy the book? Uh, it is available everywhere. Uh, you can get it in any Barnes and Noble store. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble online, uh, Simon and Schuster online, and lots of other sellers. It's in all three formats, paper, uh, audio, and uh, eBooks in every format. Just Simon and Schuster is a good website to go to on it. Yeah. And uh, they have every link that exists for it. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Little about origins of the gods. Um, that book is available. There's so much in the book, but I was fascinated by the beginning conversation of one of the chapters in the book and learning the difference between ontology and cosmology, but not really understanding it. However, when you read the book, such a fascinating, fascinating amount of information to take in. But the question that Deepak Chopra likes to ask is the questions we think that he says we ask ourselves. Who are we? Where do we come from? And what is our purpose? Huh. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. 
Are you ready to experience full body system wellness? Tune in to the Empower Me Show with Pam Bright, a spiritual toolbox for your life. Embrace the fullness of who you are as a spiritual being having a human experience. Pam Bright is a multidimensional healer, light language channel, energy intuitive, and spiritual transformation coach. Join her for a rich conversation about how to unlock all your spiritual gifts on Transformation Talk Radio. Are you having difficulty feeling at home in your own home? Join Annette Rigolo and Dr. Pat in Enlightened Environments, Optimizing from the Outside In, as they present a deep dive into the various vibrations of the earth, along with man-made energies that impact our lives. Using the diamond dousing method, we will utilize specific vibrations to elevate our own homes to support us and expand us with their energy. Join us every third Wednesday at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time to make your home home. It is time to get inspired to take action in your life. Tune in to Emotional Elevation with me, Susan Denae. We are identifying, understanding, and treating our crazy one episode at a time. We all have crazy in our lives. The thing that sets us apart is how we deal with it. And I've got you covered. Enjoy your journey. You are worth it. Visit SusanDenae.com. That's D-E-N-E-E.com. Illuminate your inner framework now with Shelly Hoffberg and Stephanie Salt on the show Intuitive Diagnostics on Psychic Horizons. For you to find the keys to your highest path, it is vital that you see what is happening within your inner metric of you and those around you. They'll help you utilize soul architecture so that you can unravel the highest plan of life actualization for you. Manifest your unique life mission now every Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Are you ready to get big and live your life out loud? Tune in to Get Big Out Loud Radio, exploring life through the lens of curiosity and compassion. With me, Carrie Knudsen, joining Dr. Pat live every second Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. I will offer ideas to transform what you are thinking into conscious action. If you want to get big and live your life out loud, visit me at KnudsenSpeaks.com. Are you wondering who you are meant to be in this ever-changing world right now? Kelly Kay is a certified new paradigm, multidimensional transformation energy healer, ready to assist you in this transformative process of expanding your consciousness. She helps you transmute your wounds and traumas into healing, growth, and wisdom, resulting in self-empowerment and freedom from fear. Visit enlightenedmedicine.com to learn more. Welcome back, everyone. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. I have to say, um, you know, with Greg, there's so much in this book. I, I can't even begin to tell you all. Those of you that have actually been gifted a copy of the book, you'll get to experience this yourself. But it's one of these books, when you read it through the first time, as I did, you read it through, and then you're drawn to certain parts of it. Who knows why? I don't know why. You know, what I'm drawn to today may be different than what I'm drawn to tomorrow. But there were a couple of things that I, I really held on to that opens up a bigger perspective, a bigger opportunity to shift, a bigger opportunity to explore that is which be, it goes beyond what we think we know 
And, you know, Greg, one of the words I started out with, and I just hung on to it because it's a word, but it's not, it's so much more is when you started the chapter to talk about ontology and you had one line that explained what it was and how it was different than cosmology. And I'll tell you, I didn't know that meaning. And so for me, I hung on to that and it raised so many more questions. But isn't this really the direction where your heart is, this study, this, this passion to really explore this is a journey in research of knowing, but it's not boxed in. Yeah. It's not boxed in to a pre-designed, predetermined, like that circle that was in that, you know, it's not boxed in, but yet all of us waking up wanted to discount the circle that a neighbor came over in the middle of the night and perfectly carved that out with anybody now. So can we talk about this for a minute? Well, yeah, ontology. Now, first of all, Andrew wrote that section on ontology. That's out of his section. Ontology is kind of the study of the nature of what we are in, um, in almost not mystical sense, but a deeper sense, as deep as you can go, actually. And for me, I have pretty much accepted the Native American mound builder and the Zuni uh, some of the Navajo, but it's mainly the Algonquin beliefs about the nature of everything uh, and where we came from and what it's all about. In fact, in that, in the chapters on that, I used the same questions. Who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What are we supposed to do? That is what I tried to answer there based upon the, the Native American beliefs. And to understand all that, you have to really go back to the point of creation with them. Uh, and creation's where it all started. So in their belief system, everything started with the singularity. And that word is the actual word that, eth that an ethnographer got from one of the most important shaman of the Cheyenne tribe. And I've, I've told some of that story in the book, and I've told it in previous books. Uh, but they believed there was a singularity to start. That's the real thing. And it was pure spirit. It had consciousness and intelligence. It had purpose. But the, the meaning of that singularity, it's understanding it's impossible. Uh, it had some sort of primordial intelligence that goes beyond anything we can understand. And for its own, its own purpose, for some reason, in their belief system and explanatory system, that singularity divided itself into two portions, almost like a yin and yang symbol, where you have a perfect circle, but it's subdivided by two other elements that begin to rotate. And of course, you can't have a singularity that's divided into two parts. It's no longer a singularity. It's a contradiction in terms. So the moment that these two forces or parts exist, came into being, it split the singularity. And when it split, it created a three-part universe. There's an upper world, a lower world, and a physical world, the universe itself. The upper world is, they're all spiritual. Everything is made out of this primordial spiritual energy. So the upper world in this belief system is the force of creation. 
it is the force. It, it, it People look at it like it's good, that it's all good, but good and bad is not really the issue here. The lower world it's domi- is dominated by this force of disorder, or in physics, you would call it entropy. Entropy means that everything from the moment of its creation on begins a process of falling apart and going back to whatever its most primordial substance or form was. Everything is subject to entropy, whether it's our bodies, whether it's relationships, businesses, anything. So you have these two forces, creation or order at the top. You have entropy or disorder at the bottom. And then you have the physical world. According to this belief system, and this kind of sets up the summary of our entire theory, according to this belief system, the physical world, and let's just talk about Earth for a minute, is because that's where we are. This world is a three-dimensional mirror, a physical three-dimensional mirror. And on one side of this three-dimensional mirror is reflected this force of creation or order. On the other side of this mirror is reflected the force of disorder and entropy. Remember, these are two spiritual forces. They're interacting and being reflected on this surface. Into this world came we three-dimensional beings. We were placed here. Now, if you actually read Native American stories about the beginning or how humans got here, you'll hear a lot of children's stories. And there's a real distinction you have to make here. Children's stories were told for moral purposes to teach right and wrong, and actually just to have very interesting discussions with kids and with the general populace. There's also a whole cluster of beliefs and mythology called sacred stories. And the sacred stories were generally withheld from most of the ethnographers, the early ones. Uh, They were withheld from archaeologists that did the early studies on the Native American tribes, but we know a lot of them now. So the sacred stories tell what they believe is the real truth. So in the sacred stories, humans were placed here deliberately for two reasons. One is we are able to understand these two forces, the force of creation and the force of entropy and the interaction of those two. And the second thing is we are here to maintain a balance between those two forces. We interact with them. They manifest to us in different ways. They are real energy forces that come to us in many different forms. They adapt culturally to us based on your culture and your expectations your unconscious beliefs and your your whole idea system, they interact with us. But that's the idea. And so I like that idea. I like the way that they explained it. I've tried to explain it as simply as possible. And this is a thumbnail of it. But in this idea, all things are, are, are connected. All things are spiritual in nature. And it's an interaction. There are forces that appear to us first. This takes a, this is really an important concept in the book, and it's the concept of the trickster. Native Americans have loads and loads of stories of tricksters. It, the idea that trickster was introduced to me by Carl Jung, his writings on, on tricksters. He was fascinated with the concept. Yep. Psychologically, the trickster is supposedly there because we need something to blame for our own stupidity 
for our own mistakes, for our own blunders as we as we move through this life, uh, people would be, oh, it's the trickster. You'd blame it. Uh, but there actually is an element to this that does manifest the trickster element. Uh, shamanism is all about interacting with trickster forces because that is what you encounter first. Yeah. Also, the same thing that people encounter when they microdose with uh, hallucinogens. Uh, I've had a lot of discussions with this. I don't recommend people do that. I am not in favor of people doing drugs, but I can't help but talk to loads of people that are doing this because there are others in this field that are pretty much recommending that everybody do it. But isn't um, this also part, can I just go back to I, I, your book beautifully covers uh, shamanism. It just, I mean, I don't even know how this book was written because you have created such a beautiful web of things, as you said earlier at the top of the show, things that we become a little myopic about in their individual state. But here, this journey you take us on, the story you take us on, you know, it, it captures the essence of early on indigenous people, people not from here, people from here experiences but the way you've laid this out is beautiful. I want to get back to this for a minute because m m the honor of working with indigenous people is nothing that this woman from the Bronx ever, ever, ever thought that I would be gifted. And I learned more in a very short period of time. But the misconceptions are vast. Now, Anyone that I know that has ever gone to, let me just say, I found out my grandfather was born in Brazil. So a lot of what I'm about to say to you makes more sense than on paper. Ayahuasca ceremonies that have been practiced by shamans, by others, that's not the conversation about the way some of the other hallucinogenic. These are people that have rich cultures and these rituals are profoundly insightful, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, I find it so distressing that in our modern world, if it's not digitized, it's hard to imagine conceptualization. And we haven't even talked about, you know, the theory of electromagnetic energy and electromagnetic gene paranormal. Yeah. But I'll tell you, sitting here, I'm here as the owner of a network that's going to expand because I was driving across I-90 in Washington and my windshield lit up and showed it to me. Now, I didn't tell anybody that for a long time, but what role do these shamans play, these rituals, these spiritual people that go far back than I can even think about? What role has that played in shaping us as humanity and is it a lost are we losing it well yeah we are losing it absolutely uh it's disappearing very very quickly uh in a in a lot of different ways i know that this movement of people trying to do hallucinogens has something to do with with that and yep. it's like a quick way a lot of people see it as a quick way for enlightenment uh, and I don't know that that's really what happens most of the time uh, when you do it. 
particularly without the background. There's a big background. Before you start engaging in these rituals and wanting to know the secrets of the universe, it's a good idea to get yourself balanced and get your feet on the ground uh, and make sure that you can come back to reality. Because no matter how spiritual you get, yeah. you're still going to chop wood and carry water, which is yeah. a you know, famous quote out of a book. Uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, because real life goes on. Uh, and that's something a lot of people forget. Yeah. But this age now, people are living inside. We are not connecting with nature much. We're not connecting with the real spiritual world. Uh, in, in the book, we talk about the importance that nature and electromagnetic free zones, zones where it where the only electromagnetic energy that's there uh, is the Earth's natural ambient frequency known as the Schumann resonance. That is what you want to get in in order to connect with these things in a good way. If you're in what I like to call an electromagnetic cesspool, which I'm in right now, I'm in an electromagnetic cesspool. Yes, sir. Uh, there's electric <laughs> wires all through here. There's all kinds of Wi-Fi. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I can't really attune myself to the Earth's frequency. Uh, I'm not grounded. Some of the some of the rituals we talk about in the book require that you're literally grounded in dirt in order to perform some of the rituals. And that's something that people aren't really going to do today. Uh, so we've gotten out of touch with this. We're getting more out of touch with it all the time. To some extent, our goal in this book was to kind of get people to understand this. There's always a counterculture at work. There are people that are trying to connect and get back to nature or whatever here, uh, but we're trying to connect with them and explain to people how important it is that they maintain some sort of harmony with those two big forces yeah. I talked about, the force of creation and the force of entropy. Yeah. Yeah. And people can, can manifest that in their own lives. If you, can, if you can deal with those two forces, you can pretty much deal with whatever has gone on in your life. Yeah. Uh, that's a good self-help concept too. Freedom. Well, I, Go ahead. I, know Sorry. We, I know we have a few minutes left, but that is so honestly, that's a powerful message. I'm so glad you took a few minutes to share that. I'm also glad that both you and I are saying the same thing. And I want to be very clear to all of you out there. The rituals we are talking about, the things that are in this book, they have been practiced for thousands of years by people. They do these things based on experiences, but also they do not do these things alone. The closest to alone you may get is when you have to step out on your own for your vision quest. And that doesn't come after, until after many, many, many other rites of passage. Um, Greg, I want to thank you for today. Um, the book is available everywhere. I want to spend the next couple of minutes we have left in, in having you share your message, perhaps about something I didn't ask you. Well, my whole life is about trying to get people to become better, to become the be best version of themselves they can be. Uh, I'm best known in the field of treatment, trauma, uh, substance abuse, uh, parenting. I mean, I've, I've been involved in criminal psychology and criminal treatment and the treatment of families for decades since the 1970s. And that's my real area. And the truth is, even this stuff, the, the 
Indian mounds that I've written about, uh, the paranormal, all of it serves the same purpose. All of it does. And it's to encourage people to be the best version of themselves they can be and to be kind. If you disagree with something, if, you're, if you disagree with something somebody says, you can agree to disagree. You can debate it. You can talk about it. But these are such divisive times, uh, and people are really, really in a bad way right now. Do less digital stuff. Uh, get off your cell phone some. Go out into nature. I'm a big fan of people going and visiting archaeological sites in the I United States. There are loads of them. The most incredible earthworks in the world are in Newark, Ohio. Yeah. Newark, Ohio, folks. There, there's loads of others that are around. But, oh, my God, the stuff here is unreal. Go and visit it. Reconnect with nature. Try to reconnect with some of those ancient cultures. Uh, and it helps get you in balance. It helps get your life in balance. It's a good thing to do with kids. I'm working on a project now for parents to take their children out. And parents don't need to be an expert in Native American stuff or history. All you got to do is ask kids a few questions when you go to some of these sites. Like, what do you think they did here? Why do you think they built this? Why do you think they had more than one mound? Whatever. But it's become the best version of yourself. Be kind. There's no cost to kindness. Uh, all this anger today. And I've seen it forever. It's always yeah. been around. But it, it's a little worse today for obvious reasons. It's accelerated because... You know, there is so much power in the electromagnetic field and digital for so many good uses. Healing, we know about frequency healing. We know how frequency can, you know, just annihilate, you know, bacteria or viral things in the body. But what you're talking about is on the heels of a headline I read this morning, you know, digital distribution of hate and lies. Mm. That has never worked out except in places like Nazi Germany, for example. But we're in a new world and we have to learn how to remember the things you shared today. Mm. When was the last time all of you, not, not you, Greg, because I know you've done it, but, but please think about this. When was the last time you just took your shoes and socks off and walked out in your backyard, whether it's grass or sand? When was the last time you did that? right? Even if you don't walk and you just go out and stand there, when was the last time that you connected with that electromagnetic field of the earth? Greg, thank you so much. Again, how do we find out about you? How do we get the book? Uh, if you want to find out about me, Google my whole name, Gregory L. Little, put that initial in. Otherwise, you'll find football players. Greg Little's a football <laughs> player. Obviously, football players are the most important because those always pop up first. But they do. You can Google me. All the information's there. You can find Twitter, Facebook uh, connections there and lots of other stuff. But that's the way. And the book's available everywhere. Uh, you can Google Andrew's name, Andrew Collins, and you'll find it or Origins of the God. And it's been yeah. a pleasure. I appreciate it.